What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at xfinity.com flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet Essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.
right, it's a, another film study as we're going to look back at the divisional round loss. I don't even have to tell you, a general, how the game went because everyone listening to this surely knows. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing fine. It's nice to uh, have a nice day off before uh, having to really examine this game. And it's really nice that we get to talk about the defense first. You get a day off. It's work well, day for me and for Gabe to look back at this stuff. Good point. And, yeah. Good point. Well, I'm I'm glad it was defense, so you at least could focus on that. And Gabe is joining us. Gabe, I think you're uh, becoming more and more of a regular on here. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing well. I think this is uh, my uh, fourth or fifth time on the show, so thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure, Gabe. You're one of the real good ones. Uh, tell people about your Twitter handle to start with. Yeah, you can find me at Gabe Fergie um, on Twitter. I tweet a lot about the Ravens during the games. I'm constantly tweeting, leading up to games, after games. Obviously, the season's over, but you know there will be a lot of draft talk, probably um, off-season moves, things like that. So I'm pretty active on there, and I like to interact with everyone. All right, outstanding. Also doing a pod now, The Situation Room, with Jordan Coe on this very website, filmstudybaltimore.com. That's correct. Um, I think we're going to be recording our final season wrap-up pod tomorrow, but we're, we have lots of plans to do things in the off-season, take some look back at the season, you know, things that went right, things that went wrong. Um, you know, just kind of a lot of interesting content, I think, that we have in the, in the works. Okay, that'll be true of Film Study. Also doing lots of lots of content this off-season in terms of podcasting. May take a little bit of a break, and when I say that, down to about one podcast per week for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back on with at least two podcasts per week, I would estimate, for uh, most of this off-season. Uh, Gabe, this is a very different feeling, obviously, from last week. Last week, with the euphoria, the wave-riding coming out of Tennessee and enjoying that win. This game... That interception so reminds me of two games uh, from Baltimore sports history that that uh, had the same sort of a deflating turnover that brings the season to a to a immediate conclusion effectively. The first was in the two, uh, 2008 AFC Championship. Uh, the loss to Pittsburgh, where they'd been outplayed, admittedly, in the game pretty badly, but were down only 16-14. They had that kind of deflating penalty by Stone on the punt got set back, got one first down, looked like it could be one of these methodical drive up the fields to you know kick the winning field goal with limited time left on the clock, which would have been perfect. But Flacco threw the interception of Palomalo, run back for a touchdown, 23-14. The lights went out at that exact moment. And, uh, and that certainly was the end of a really magical season. The other one, I'm sure you remember that one pretty well, right? Yeah, 2008 was definitely a game I, re- I remember very well. I mean, that, that year was was a lot of fun we didn't have any expectations and then you know got all the way to the championship game um and even the hang around with pittsburgh that was that was fun to see but then you know that was kind of that moment you know can't can't keep up after that and then i think you know there was the mcgahee fumble following that up i think you know the ravens had one last chance and then just all you know then it all went down the drain yeah, sure enough. So uh, tough stuff, but uh, but that game, it ended the season immediately. And to me, on the Palo Malo pick six, the crowd knew they had won it. The other one, if you go way back, 1975, which is really, I, I kind of consider it my first year as a big Colts fan because the Colts, it was the first year when I was a fan, they were actually good. And uh, Burt Jones was, was there and was the league's, I don't know if he was the league's MVP that year or the next year, but anyway, he was 
the quarterback, the franchise at that point. And he was out for a lot of the game. Marty Domrez actually had thrown the only touchdown pass in that game against the Steelers, the divisional loss. And down 21 to 10, Jones was leading them on a drive down the field to the four-yard line, uh, threw a pass – sorry, dropped back to pass, had the ball knocked loose, and Andy Russell returned it 90, 93, 94, whatever it was, for a fumble return touchdown that that put the Steelers up 28 to 10 and ended all the Colts' hopes that year. That was definitely before my time. I think it was as 10 years before I was born, so I have zero recollection of that. But it sounds like a pretty brutal way to get get buried in a game as well. Yeah, same same kind of thing. You know, obviously you're dealing with the last little bit of fleeting hope. The Ravens weren't dealing with that. You know, on Saturday night they had a real chance at that point in the game. But anyway, we want to come back and talk about this game. A lot of the defense, which is actually the fun side to talk about. But before we do, Josh has something to say to us. All right. It is um, my bookie time. You could have been like me and lost a whole bunch of money on Saturday night to my bookie and then make it up on Sunday thanks to the uh, 10-point spread for the Browns. So it's that time of the year when divisions are decided, champions are crowned, and legends are born. It's the NFL playoffs. So whether your team's in it or not, now's the chance that you can win big by using MyBookie, the industry-leading online sportsbook and casino. You can bet NFL, NBA, college ball, MMA, soccer, and more. So head on over to their mobile-friendly website today and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000 by using the promo code RAVENS when you make your first deposit. And you can use Bitcoin, credit card, bank transfer, and many other ways to get your money in there. And it's just as easy to get your money out. So head on over to MyBookie, bet, win, and get paid. Use the code RAVENS so they match it halfway. All right, back here with Gabe Ferguson. Uphill struggle all game for the Ravens, uh, clearly, particularly on defense. Uh, They had, for starters, very poor relative starting field position. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of uncharacteristic how it happened too it was really a special team thing that it was a, it was a poor punt from from sam cook and then we had the two missed field goals and that automatically gave the bills really good field position there's three drives and you know it definitely put the defense under the gun but even with that situation they they held up pretty strongly yeah, they did. I mean, they they defended some short fields, uh, but but it wasn't it, you know it wasn't the turnovers that caused it. It wasn't really the kicks because both teams missed too, right? It was a you know a, a failed fourth down had a substantial impact on that total. A lot of penalties had a substantial. The Ravens were once again out penalized by a fair amount, and there were some things in this game like a roughing the passer penalty was pretty damn ticky tack on the Ravens, and a roughing the passer play on. Lamar Jackson that I cannot believe was not thrown. Yeah, that, that seems to have been the Ravens' mo this year, um, out, being out penalized by a good margin pretty much every game, and and the quarterback roughing the passers. They've been kind of one of those things that's kept cr- cropping up time and time again this season, and it led to points several times for other opposing teams. Yeah, it really uh, fairly absurd in this particular case. One thing that I think was a I don't know if it's hidden because it was very apparent to me. I'm screaming at it, but but I think there are people who maybe aren't clued in on it maybe as closely. Is the Ravens did an extremely poor job of managing the wind conditions, 
And this manifested itself in several ways. Obviously, in one big way offensively, we'll get to in a minute. But the Ravens started the game with a great drive into the wind. I can't even tell you how valuable that is in Buffalo. Buffalo, you generally, you have the wind with you in one direction, against you in the other. It's almost impossible to have drives that go into the wind when the wind is really blowing like it was on Saturday night. We saw a lot of the fluttery balls the one way. It's tricky the other direction to throw long passes it's just about impossible to throw when you're throwing into that win and it's certainly almost impossible to kick in that direction yeah yeah absolutely and you know the, the ravens definitely came out you know running the ball early and i think that was with that in mind and then you know they kind of stuck with that i think a little too much but i mean we're not talking offense here but i think they could have used a quick passing game a little bit more in those situations but you know, for for what it's worth, I think the, the the field conditions were really hard for both teams. So you know, it's it's something that both teams had to to work with, and it definitely impacted the game, um, impacted the Bills' ability to pass a lot. And I think that's something the Ravens took advantage of. Yeah, I I, I I don't disagree. I think they did take advantage of the Bills' inability to pass, and the Bills very much a pass-heavy offense. But let's just talk mechanics for a second. The Ravens should have been able to derive an enormous advantage from this because they can run the football, burn clock more effectively, more efficiently than a team that is wholly dependent on passing the football, as the Bills proved to be throughout that first half and most of the second. And it, it really didn't make any sense that the Ravens could not control the pace of the game in those first and third quarters when they really needed it, needed to get those quarters over with move into the quarters where they had a big advantage. And the worst single play of the Ravens' entire season was not the interception. That's, uh, maybe it was. The second worst play of the Ravens' entire season was Lamar Jackson getting knocked down on the bad snap for a, for a intentional grounding play that, it crawled, that took the ball back to the two-yard line. Well, that didn't have to happen. The play clock was north of the, game, of the third quarter clock at that point. There's no... Freaking reason on earth to run that play. You let that clock run out. You go with the wind in the fourth quarter. I, I don't. One more play in a fourteen-point game not going to make the difference. It's just not. Not at that point with fifteen minutes to go. You needed the wind in your favor. They went ahead and snapped against it. Obviously, the snap did not go right, but then everything else did not go right about that play as well. And and it was a play where, honestly, on whatever it was on that uh, down and distance on that, it was second down, I think. Um, they really needed the wind in their favor to have the best possible chance to convert there. Yeah, that's a really good point. Honestly, I didn't even notice that that clock issue you, you mentioned with the end of the third quarter there. And thinking about that makes it that much more frustrating in hindsight. Um, that's definitely not a play that you need to be running when having the wind on your back is such a big difference in a, in a, in a game situation like that. Now, I, I wonder how many quality control player people do the Ravens have on the headset? Because it's not just Roman. It's not just Harbaugh. It's not just a bunch of other people. They're supposed to have a bunch of quality control people, game management people on the loop and say, hey, you might want to consider waiting on the wind and, and letting the clock run out on the third quarter. I mean, if somebody had said that, if somebody had even suggested it, I think that the Ravens would have held back and said, yep, you're right. Right. Hold the ball. Don't know how this kind of thing occurs. I really, I really don't have any clue. It was, it was one of the really frustrating game management decisions of the entire year, and in a year I think has generally had pretty good game management decisions. Yeah, I agree with that about the game management. I think John Harbaugh actually does a pretty good job of when he uses his timeouts in, in game situations in terms of getting the most advantageous amount of time when the team gets the ball. 
Um, I think we've seen that play to the Ravens' advantage a few times. But in this instance, I guess the only thought is that maybe you want to get that extra play in um, because you are down two score, two touchdowns there, and you want to that play might make a difference. It seems foolish even saying that, mm-hmm. um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's the only thing I could think of as to why you want to get that playoff right there. All right. Let's, we got to stop worrying about that. Enjoy the defense for what we got now. I thought a very good game plan from Week Martindale that was extremely well fit to the opponent. I know you've had some comments in our production meeting about this. Yeah, absolutely. So taking a step back, heading into this game, there was a lot of talk about what Josh Allen does that is good, what he doesn't. He, He's really good against man coverage. He's bad against zone coverage. Don't blitz him because he destroys blitzes. Well, I I think Martindale did look at those things because he didn't blitz very much. Mm -hmm. The one thing that he did also, which was very well, and one of the things that I wanted to see was how he mixed up his coverage. He didn't just play zone coverage. He played a lot of man in this game too. There was, I'll say it was probably 50-50. And it was kind of like, pick your poison. You didn't know snap to snap what it was going to be. There were times where he showed a man look and switched to zone. I think all those things were exactly what you wanted to have for your coverage. Um, and I think you know, the defense you know, implemented it really well and executed really well for, for, for those. And I think it was a really good game plan. And it, unfortunately, it just didn't pan out for them. Okay, so you started with the man zone thing. I want to talk about the pass rush thing because that's something I definitely heard from Bills fans in advance was you can't, you can't rush him because he'll just beat, the, beat you to death. I'm not even sure in those conditions that that Allen would have done that, that Allen would have been able under constant pressure. And and certainly the Bills were just scoring the offensive line, and they had no problem turning up the pressure, rushing six and seven frequently <laughs> against uh, uh, Lamar in that second half, which is where we are right now. I mean, they're just doing it play after play. Um, it, it, with, with Allen, maybe – He's got enough better weapons, but then again, every pass he's taking a chance. And I, I think that the coverage um, radiuses laid out by those cornerbacks and frankly by Deshaun Elliott on the back end were so good in this game that they would have created a lot of problems for Jackson. I did like the fact that he probed. He did a little bit of everything. Uh, it, we'll, we'll talk about the pass rush and, and some specifics later, so I don't want to. I don't want to get into it now. But the overall fact they reduced they they held him to four point eight yards per pass play. I think that was good for the conditions we had on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's definitely good, and we can all agree that the conditions were really bad for passing, and mm-hmm. and that's what the Bills were going to do. They were going to pass the ball because that's really the the offense that they have. They don't really have much of a running attack. And, you know, the Ravens would have probably stuffed them pretty well if they just tried to run the ball. Um, but I, I think that even in those conditions that the Ravens beat, you know, they, they were able to stop their passing attack really well. And the, the per play, you know, numbers were, were, I think, were fantastic for them. Yeah, they're very, very good for playing against the Bills, certainly, if you're playing in September in Baltimore, for sure. No doubt about that. My, my question really is, is this a game the Ravens should have needed to really win 17 to 14? And it might've been, might've been that kind of game or 17 to 13, maybe because hey, they, they already had 10, but you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this might've been a game they needed to win by a, by a very small margin, but I think at a minimum, they, they had a good answer for what the bills did with the pass. And from a schematic standpoint, 
they weren't totally out positioned. They did get digs deep once behind the defense. And of course, Brown got deep behind the defense once as well. Uh, you know, that didn't pan out for them. But I thought otherwise, they they had good coverage of the receivers pretty much across the board. Yeah, I think the secondary in total played played really well. Like, like you said, there were a few times where receivers got open. I think Jimmy Smith had a few lapses in coverage. Um and that that might have hurt them a couple of times. He got away with one, I think. Um, but for the most part, you know, Anthony Avery, I think, had a really good game as well. He didn't play very many snaps, but mm-hmm. he's he's someone who he looked very very competent up outside for the for the Ravens in this one. Yeah, I agree. Averett was in there. He looked a little better than Williams. Williams got lost. I guess it was Diggs on a crossing route. I'm trying to remember. It was a it was a long left to right for their longest play of the day. I think it went 21. Yeah, uh, I think that was on Williams. And I think one of the reasons why he got lost was there was a little bit of a rub route and he got, he got washed down in the, in that, you know, action by the, the other receiver coming across and he lost Diggs for a split second. And that's all it takes for Diggs to get open and, and get a big gain. Right. But then the fact that that 21 yard play is the longest they gave up the entire day is really pretty good. They, you know, Allen is a deep passing quarterback. He has a big arm and, he wasn't he although he's very wind resistant i thought he he you know did a pretty good job of not giving away the ball you know given the wind conditions on 39 passes he he didn't score with any big any really big hits against this defense yeah and it was it was almost remarkable in the first half that i think they rushed the ball once in the first half was that was that the stat once by allen there might have been once i think it was three actual carries but oh, one definitely. of them was one of them was a kneel so i'll get it for you just a second uh yeah, they had one run left for three. I think that was Singletary against a dime. They had they had the run for four with Allen on one of the early plays. And then they had a or maybe it was six. I'm having yeah, trouble he, finding he right had, he had a zone read where he had like a six a six yard gain. I'm not sure if that was the first or second half. Yeah, it's a, it's it's the run right for four on third and eight that I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. where he got forced out by Fort. Yeah, it's a good drive ending play. And then he, they had the the NRM minus one. Sorry, the kneel at the end of the half. So yeah, I mean, they really didn't even try to run the ball. They just, they said this is what we do. We pass it, um, and we're gonna you know mostly just have to throw these intermediate short intermediate routes and. I think that the Ravens, you know, were able to stop it for the most part. They they let up a few here and there, but you know, considering what we talked about earlier with the field position and considering um, overall, you know, the the quality of receivers, I think the Bills had to come down with a lot of really difficult catches in this one too. It wasn't a lot of easy gimmies. There were some really tough like sideline t- catches that yes. Josh Brown was doing. A lot of like sliding, diving catches. Um, I don't know if they had maybe one or two drops the entire game. They really made plays for the quarterback in this one. Yeah, the one that was pointed out as being kind of a drop or went right through his hands in the end zone was uh, Gabe, uh, number 13, Gabe Davis. Davis, Davis. Yeah. Yes. So the ball did kind of hit off his hand, but if he had caught that ball, Humphrey's going to strip him. Yeah, I mean, Humphrey it, had great, great, great coverage there. He mm-hmm. was right in there. Right. I agree. So so anyway, I, I thought with along with you that I didn't think there was a lot they did in terms of drops. And they had, they had some... They had some good success on some floaters where the Ravens overcommitted. The one in Knox in particular where Fort was high up to defend that pass and still he floats it over. And it could be a dangerous pass. It could be dangerous for interception purposes. could be dangerous for fumble purposes. Obviously, he caught it and ran for 19 yards or whatever it was on the play. It was one of their biggest plays of the game as it, as it turned out. Yeah, I, I, re- I mean, that was a really good play design 
I think, for, for the Bills, because Knox is wide open. Um, I, I think maybe Clark kind of got lost in the coverage there. He bit hard on the play action. And I'm not sure if that was his man or not, but he definitely, um, I think it was probably his responsibility there. And, he got rubbed. He got rubbed on that play. So yeah. it, it was, uh, I forget who, who the receiver coming across was, but Clark definitely ran right into it and 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 that left Knox open and then for a, a pretty good run after. Clark didn't recognize right away where he had to go, but even as the ball was in the air and Clark is moving, then he's, then he's intercepted by the traffic. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on. Let's maybe talk about packages in this game. And then we're going to get down to the players. We usually hit that last. So I'm just going to go basically through what they were what they were doing during the game. And Gabe, hop on with comments about it and whatever you know how to do this. Uh, five snaps of base. Um, the first time they used that was on first and goal from the three. So they didn't use any base defense in the first half. And the Bills never gave them a reason to do it either because they had 11 personnel on basically the entire time. I don't know if they maybe had 12 on once, but but it was, it was pretty much 100% 11 personnel in that first half or 10. They yep. had some 10 as well. So the first time they used it was on first and goal at the three-yard line. And then they said, no, we're not doing that. They put back in their 11 personnel with three wide receivers left, which is one of the real breakdowns of the day defensively for the Ravens. Uh, let's talk about that in, a, in in just a minute here. If, as we, well, let's talk about it now. We're, it's it's better we do. That play bothered me. Uh-huh. <laughs> every <laughs> single, I, I mean, every single person looking at that knew. So okay, let's talk about that play right now. They had three wide receivers on that left side with two cornerbacks opposite them. They had a dime defense. Sorry, they had a nickel defense on the field which is a little bit unusual anyway when you're in a goal line place. But hey, the, the they've just gone back to 11 personnel after failing with the run on first down. So they they uh, actually failing with whatever the play was previously on first down. I don't, know if, I don't remember if it was a run or not. But then when they had Peters at the line of scrimmage on the right side, outside of Dawson Knox, stacked up with two safeties behind him. Now, every 11 play that the Ravens face is typically a corner on wide receiver situation, meaning the corner switches sides. And the, the, the last time I can remember this happening where it didn't work out right was against the Patriots on that long touchdown to Hogan where everybody thought Matt Elam messed up and Lardarius Webb had not switched sides in, in order to, to cover Hogan. Um, this was just bizarre beyond belief. Yeah, this, this play drove me insane. And even I mean, I think everybody who was watching the game saw it. And, you know, the, the announcers were saying, oh, you have three guys there and there's only two defenders. And I think, you know, every, you know, millions of people were like, why is that? Why is it lining up like that? And, and then I'm like, maybe they're in, you know, a, a zone coverage where they're not, you know, bring guys out there. But that's not an excuse for that. Like <laughs> Patrick Queen was the closest defender who was on that side of the field, who wasn't a cornerback, who probably should have been aligned with a wide receiver. I thought maybe at least he can recognize that and, and scoot over. I'm surprised they didn't take a timeout. That I would have taken a timeout. I was yelling at them to take a timeout. It's like don't let that play get off. That's a that's a guaranteed touchdown. It's so easy. And then there was just nothing. There was somebody completely just dropped the ball and and there multiple people must have honestly. Yeah, I mean it's another quality control issue that somebody has to call it from the stands. But Harbaugh might not have been right next to the official. So the officials. This is one of the problems with goal line plays. Is if you're not next to the official somehow, you're not really in a position to make a timeout call. And so one of your players on field has to do it. If you're asking Patrick Queen to react to fix the broken defense, that's not the guy who's going to do it. That yeah. is not the guy who's going to do it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a problem. And, and Clark was on the other side, and he did make a motion before the change in camera angle on the broadcast. If you look at it, 
He's got his right arm out there. I can't tell if he's talking to Elliot behind him or if he's talking to Peters or if he's maybe motioning to a linebacker. But he he saw something, I think. Clark himself is the guy who probably should have fixed it by bolting over there at lights at whatever his top speed is. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pretty clear that he might have noticed it, but the fact that he didn't, you know, at least get over there and, and try to make an adjustment, he could have called a timeout on the field. Like he has that ability to do that. So sure. there's something that wasn't communicated properly there. There's no reason why you have three defensive backs on the weak side of the field where you only have two tight ends. That that doesn't make no, any one sense. Tight end. At one, one tight end. end, yeah, and and the, and the running back. But that yeah, just a failed play design and or failed play execution. Some someone definitely got yelled at after that. I'm sure of it. Yeah. So it is difficult. People, you know, you have to trust your teammates. They have to know what they're doing in terms of of what their own assignments are. But when somebody blows it and somebody then has to cover up, you know, it it does make things difficult. Now, that's a first and three situation. I'm not honestly of the opinion they should have called a timeout. Timeouts are valuable. First and sorry, second and three situation is probably going to be a touchdown anyway or has a good chance to be. Uh, I wouldn't want to give it up, but it did look like the Bills had an automatic check call. That might have been the call anyway, by the way. Might have been a wide receiver screen pass, but it might have also been an automatic check when they get that defensive misplacement yeah. where they don't even have to go to the, you know, the, the you know, number two, number two. They, they just they just go to an automatic check. And, you know, it just, it, he, everyone on that left side knew exactly what to do. That's all I can say. And, and our guys were not positioned to deal with that. Yeah, it's unfortunate because... You know, it is. You're right. It was second and three. Like the odds of of a touchdown there, regardless, are pretty high. So maybe a timeout is is not quite worth it. But you're, you're basically giving them the free points there. So it's it's definitely a problem. And and you know, it's not the first time we've had quality control issues this year. We've seen ten players on the field a number of times. Yes. Um. So I think they need to take a hard look at things like that and figure out who who's in charge of that and and who isn't catching it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And that that is absolutely something that you can have somebody in the booth who's on top of that. And I don't know about you, but I, when I'm in the stands, I catch it all the time. I catch 10 players on the field, whatever it's happening. It seems like because, first of all, I watch replacements in and out of the game. That's all you got to do yep. is make sure two for two, one for one, three for three, that sort of thing is happening. I, I, if and The other thing is, if you're looking at a defense and you're playing the what's that defense game, you're saying, okay, that's a nickel, that's a dime. You know, But, but things don't add up. If the set pieces aren't 11 minus your defensive backs, then you got a problem. So you, you should know that it's that uh, anyway, a uh, constant problem. And uh, and it's been been happened many times. Let's go. Let's go to pack to packages. OK, Gabe, or did you have anything more to say about that? No, I was just going to say and it, te- it seems to be like in very important situations, too, because one of them was a fourth down play that they they were going for earlier in the season. And they had 10 men on the field on offense. Fourth and six on offense. Fourth, yep. Like, how can you how can you do that? It's just. Of all the plays, of all the like the high leverage situations, that's the worst possible time to to have a complete failure like that. So See, that one, I blame. I, I do blame it on on all of the people who are on the headset loop because they they could have caused Harbaugh to call a timeout, even if the headset loop is at some point locked to the quarterback. And I don't know if it if it is at some point. But if the if the headset loop is not locked to Harbaugh, then call to Harbaugh. Say, well, you know, call timeout, and he can. That didn't make any sense to me at all. That was that was particularly bad. But I would also like if there's someone on field with that responsibility, and it seems like the tailback is a logical person to catch that. It could be either the the of the end receivers or both 
could be responsible for it as well and call timeout because they're looking right down the line of scrimmage. You can read the backfield too and make sure they have to constantly be aware of, am I the guy on the line of scrimmage? Am I not the guy on the line of scrimmage? Seems like a very easy responsibility to delegate out to one person on the field who's not the quarterback and has a lot of other read responsibilities. Absolutely. And I hope they take a look at things that went wrong like that and, and figure out a, a methodology and a system to make sure this doesn't happen as regularly as we saw it. All right, let's move on. Jumbo nickel, two snaps of that. They they used it on the last two plays of the first quarter. Uh, and, you know, they do it instead of the, the base nickel and 11 personnel sometimes. It, it was a silly thing to use, frankly, in this game. They never really needed three uh, offensive linemen, or uh, three defensive linemen, I should say, because the, the Bills never really presented any kind of a run threat to them. Uh, standard nickel, they'd use 23 snaps. Now, when the Bills were in 11 personnel, this was kind of their automatic defense. They did use a little bit of the four-corner dime also versus 11. So the Bills ran almost exclusively 11 and 10 personnel until they had the game effectively won. Yeah, absolutely. And that's their best personnel to have on the field, right? I mean, they have a tight end who's, he can catch the ball, he can make a few plays on the field, but he's not a big threat for them. They don't have a good pass catching second tight end. Their running back is, you know, someone who can catch check down and that's about it. Their, their best, their best, you know, playmakers on offense are the wide receivers by far. Right. And they have three or four of them who are, are very good. And, and they all kind of got rotated in and out this game. Yeah, they, they definitely have at least four because Gabe Davis is is good in addition to Diggs and Brown, but they also have uh, Isaiah McKenzie, 30 out of 34 catches this year, 30 out of, caught 30 out of 34 targets, so 88% catch rate. I'm, I'm so jealous of their catch rates among their wide receivers. They're all like 76.5% and higher except for Brown. Yeah, it's it's really impressive, and Browns are deep threat, so obviously he's the one who's going to get the most, um, you know, low percentage catches, but they all have fantastic footwork. They have great hands and they know how to work with their quarterback and come back to him and make catches for him. And that's something that you need to have if you're going to be a team that's going to be passing as much as they do. Yeah. I'm. You think about that happening in Buffalo and I, Buffalo doesn't have constant nasty high wind every week or anything, but they have a lot of it during the, during the whole season. How on earth do you get 76 and a half percent completion for three different guys with that those kind of conditions? It, it's remarkable, honestly. And, and you know, Allen has, has really transformed in this third year. He's become such a, an accurate passer compared to what he was in the first two years in the, in the NFL. So kudos to him and kudos to, you know, their offensive system for, you know, putting this, this structure around him and the players around him to succeed. Yeah, but absolutely. We're a little bit jealous there. Um, standard nickel, 23 for 117, 5.1. They did have one of their sacks while they were in that. So the point I'm making here is that they didn't really have overwhelming results versus any of the Ravens' defenses. It was all pretty mediocre, kind of five yards per play or a little bit less. Race car nickel, they played four snaps of that. Um, that had four outside linebackers on the field. And there are two different versions because they did play mostly this uh, – race car uh with a regular nickel but they did play one race car with a four corner nickel which is a kind of an oddball combination that went for a 20 yard play so it was that i think that actually was the one where where it was the trailing play by tremont williams i have to look at that again but i believe that's actually the play that it was was a was a race car nickel package I think if if I had one quibble with with the way that the Ravens approach this game on defense was I would have liked to see a little bit more of this package, a little bit more of a the pass rush mm-hmm. pressure package where you can get a little bit more of you know some of those 
either um, looks with your your two kind of outside linebackers feathering, you know, the A gaps where you don't know if they're going to blitz or where they're going to drop. Um, you know, some of the different things you can do with them stunting up front, I think is is a little bit better when you have the smaller, more athletic guys. And and the Bills really didn't pose that threat to run the ball. So I think when you can have the option of having some of the smaller, more athletic, quicker pass rushers up front, you can do that. I think Brandon Williams led the team in defensive line snaps, and he really wasn't much of a pass rush threat in this game. That that's a that, yeah, that's a real valid point. Is that if your only defensive lineman is Campbell on a second and ten play, let's say, or a second and eight play, even let's say. How much do you think that'll really incent them to run the football? I just I don't think they're prepared to do it. So and if if you go ahead and send in your your uh, race car personnel at that point with four outside linebackers, you actually improve your coverage unit because you got Bowser and Judon on the field, and that gives you a lot more you can do in terms of of how you set up your coverage and replace inside linebackers who aren't doing the job. And then you 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 just have more ways you can you can play the game. I, I like that idea a lot. And it would have been nice even to just probe at them and say, hey, you're gonna run against us? Go ahead. We dare you. And then let's see, let's see if they're really willing to run Singletary and and take their chances on that. Cause it's not like the, the Ravens guys up front are are outside linebackers are super small. I mean, there's guys like McPhee and Ward in that group who are reasonably sized human beings, even though you wouldn't want them playing on the inside of a three four base, they're still big enough that they can give you trouble and penetrate. Absolutely. And that ability to penetrate is what gives them, you know, the ability to disrupt in the passing game, but they can also disrupt running plays when, when you penetrate into the backfield as well. So I think that's something that, like I said, I would like to see more of, um, you know, they did do pretty well in the, in the back end, so you can't complain too much, but it, it might've been a missed opportunity. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the things is that's, those are the kind of things that create more turnover potential as opposed to just, Hey, we'll get you off the field kind of, kind of potential otherwise and i think in a lot of ways that's something the ravens are missing in this game is is they didn't flip the field ever they all you know they started in their own own uh backyard on every play because every drive rather because they didn't have any turnovers so anyway yeah i, I mean i think we'll, we'll hit on it later but they did they had the ones you know sack fumble they could have potentially gotten the ball but yeah um and that was on a play where they sent the house and that was i think they sent six seven players and six yep yeah, so maybe something that they should have done a few more times, but I think that was the only time they sent that many. Yeah, uh, I'll look for that for you in a second here, but they, they had only a couple plays where they said six plus. That's true. Um, four corner dimes, 17 times. Now, one of the things coming into this game, and I, I don't have any problem with the way the four corner dime played. It was used well. I thought it was effective. Williams and Averett split their time there as the fourth corner. It looked like Williams played the second and third corners, and... Averett played the first and fourth corners quarters and uh, they used it versus 10. They also used it versus 11 when they got into third and long or other obvious passing situations. So I thought it was very effectively used. That's not the problem. My problem is in a lot of these cases, there's still an inside linebacker on the field and the inside linebacker was where the problems were occurring. Now, the one good thing about it is they played Fort a lot more in this game. He was quite effective. And I, I want to talk about him either later or now, either one. But but I thought Fort was very effective in terms of how he controlled the game, how he understood his own responsibilities. What they didn't get is they, the other three guys really let him down in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, hearkening back to 2019, we, we would see the Ravens take off the linebackers a lot or maybe just have one linebacker on the field. And I think that 
was something that could have been used a little more often in this game as well. Now that they had their full array of defensive backs available to them, you know, they had, they had, like you said, four cornerbacks. I guess they didn't really have their third safety that they trusted so much on the field, but with, with Jimmy Smith, the ability to kind of play him in kind of a safety role at times, you can drop him into the, into the zone coverages. Um, And, and then the four cornerbacks, I, I mean, was it a, Injury that Averett missed the two quarters, he came back, or was it there was, was there another reason? No, I, I don't know the reason. Um, it, it almost looked rotational because that's sometimes something they do is is well, they often do first and third, second and fourth, but this was first and fourth. I don't know the answer for you though, is is the is the direct Yeah, that's it's interesting because I, I think that Averett outplayed Williams by, mm-hmm. by a wide yes. margin. And I, and he was the one who has you know played very well for the Ravens at times this season. You know he's more of an outside guy, but I, I'm not sure why you would take him off the field in exchange for Williams unless they think that he's a better matchup, maybe on a on a bigger guy or he can play a little more physically. It's it's hard for me to say, but I would have preferred to see more of Avery and less of Williams. I I don't think I think it either was injury or rotation by drive because we didn't see any exchange within the same drive. It was all Williams for a long stretch between Averett at bookend times in the game. So it didn't, it wasn't an exchange by drive situation, sorry, an exchange by play situation, which means it probably wasn't an exchange by personnel of the opponent situation. So, so they didn't put Isaiah McKenzie on the, on the field and say, Averett's not quick enough in terms of his change of direction skills. We need Tremont Williams here. They, you know, just did it the way they did it. Yeah, the one thing with the Ravens and their and their corners and how they match up with with wide receivers, I, I don't think they always take advantage of that in the best way. I think if they see an, a certain player on player that can do a better job, I would prefer to see that. For instance, you could put Humphrey on Diggs and just keep him there. Mm-hmm. That's not how the Ravens do their their secondary. They kind of have them in their defined roles. You know, Peters plays the left cornerback, mm-hmm. Smith will play the right cornerback, Humphrey will be in the slot. When Avert comes in, things get a little trickier. Um, but I would like to see, especially in a game like this, when you have wide receivers on the opposing team that have really distinct skill sets, I think you can match up with them a little better. I mean, that's that's fair. Um, and you're you're right that they start always with Peters at left cornerback, and he's the fixed piece that they won't move him anywhere unless all three cornerbacks, uh, all three all three wide receivers are on the other side of the field. And sometimes, as we found in this game, they won't even do it that early. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not funny. It's just it's too soon, <laughs> you know. But um, but anyway, the the uh, you're right, and 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 Jimmy Smith is in there at at right cornerback when he's in in a three corner alignment. But the the one time they will move him is when they go to four corners. They will move him to the inside, put him on a tight end possibly, or or put him on a uh, even a wide receiver that's on the inside. Uh, I, I I don't mind the moving around. I also don't mind the fact that Humphrey is the biggest asset they have, and they'll move him to a position in the slot to take somebody because the slot is where Humphrey is disadvantaged. It doesn't have to be against the other team's number one receiver. So I don't have a problem. If they have Stephon Diggs and they're playing him on the outside, I don't have a problem if your boundary corners are better there to leave him there and and leave Humphrey where he would be disadvantaged against other receivers on a lesser slot receiver. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And the other thing about playing in the slot is that's often like the quick read for a, a quarterback. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, especially on a third down, that's where they want to go because that's the easiest release for, for a wide receiver to get open. So if you have Humphrey on that wide receiver, then you have your best player taking away sometimes their first read. And that's something that you want to do sometimes. 
Yeah, and and you got you got the chance after the um, ball is caught but not secured. I'll say to to get it free, whether it's by fumble, which has you know been Humphrey especially, but also just by knocking it free, where Humphrey has still those baseball bad arms to do that. Yeah, and, and in this game, it didn't really have much of a consideration because the Bills didn't run very much. But the slot cornerback is also a position yes. where you're required to really you know fill that alley. And run defense, and and Humphrey is one of the best run defending corners in, in the NFL, and he's so physical, and he plays that role really well. Yeah, I agree, and uh, absolutely for that. And the other thing, if you want to name one more, is that they like to blitz Humphrey more off the slot than just about anybody. I mean, they if if Averett were in the slot, they might do it. Tremont Williams, they're comfortable blitzing him off the slot. I kind of have this feeling it's because they're not as enamored with his coverage that they'll do that three or four times per game. They say, well, it's not that much to give up if we have to have someone go in and, you know, linebacker fill in for his coverage role to make sure the quarterback has that read taken away because we want, you know, we want somebody to get to the quarterback quickly. Um, He's a savvy player. I don't want to put down Williams anyway, but I just think the Ravens feel like they might be losing less when they rush him. Yeah, and that's true. And and it's a lot, you're in an advantage position to rush the passer as well, because you have a short distance, and especially if you're coming from the blind side, you can you can sometimes get in there without even recognizing it. Choice of gap, B or C. You got lots of lots of opportunities there that can that can make things make things work. So if you have Yannick Ngakwe working on that side, he fans out the guy gaping B gap. You you've got a better chance to make that play. Yep. All right, let's move on. Uh, talk about the pass rush a little bit. Uh, very little scheme in this game. Uh, pass defense obviously was good overall. We talked about that a little bit. 14 out of 39 ample time and space opportunities. A little high at 36%. Uh, you know, they obviously didn't blitz as much as they normally did. It's about 3% normal, 3% higher than what they'd be giving up on the year so far. Uh, so not terrible by by any stretch. And it's a small sample size. So it's only really about one additional ample time and space over, over 39 but still, uh, you know, he, he got the ball out quickly 10 times. The Ravens had 15 pressure events. None of those numbers are so far out of the bounds that they would have been the reason for the 4.8 yards. I think most of the credit really goes to the back end in this game. Definitely agree with that. The The coverage was was definitely the, the, you know, the strong point for the Ravens in this one. I think, you know, a couple of players did stand out in terms of their pass rush, and, and I think we'll talk about them a little bit. Um, but, you know, their, the interior pressure wasn't there too much. You know, Campbell had a few, Medebike had a couple. Um, but you know, one thing that I think they could have done a little bit more was was work some of those stunts and some of those deceptive things. They had time in this game because Josh Allen came into this game with a 3.04 second average time to throw. That's what the Ravens have been craving facing is a quarterback who holds the ball a little longer, is willing to take a little more chances with the football. That's when you have a little more time to stunt and you can get some good opportunities set up that way. And with the wind and the way the secondary was playing, there was opportunity in this game to do some of that. They ended up stunning four times in the game, by the way. Yeah, I think at least two of them, they had some clean shots or at least a clean look at pressuring Allen. And, and he, he did a pretty good job of evading it, I think. Um, and I think one of the reasons why they didn't want to do that too much was because the ability of Allen to run with a football. And I think they really, especially early on in this game, tried to contain him in the pocket. So they controlled kind of, rush lanes. Absolutely. They kind of did like the mush rush where they, they didn't really run past uh, the quarterback. They tried to kind of condense the pocket a little bit, push from the interior as well. Um, and they, I think, you know, Allen was able to, you know, break contain a few times and he made a few plays, but he also had to just kind of throw the ball away on some of them as well. So I think the four-man rush actually did a, a decent job in, in this one. 
Yeah, he got outside the pocket a couple times. You mentioned one was on the zone read. One was actually on a run play on third and eight where he was intending to pass. And and angles were good. Pursuit angles are very good on on uh, him in particular in this game. But they they yeah, I, most of the pursuit angles were on him. They had a few that were on receivers as well. Uh, the pursuit angle was excellent on the six-yard game. I think that was Elliott coming up and making the tackle. On the four-yard third and eight play, that was Fort taking to the sideline there. Uh, Bowser did a wonderful job of stringing him out for a two-yard loss on his third run. So they did a wonderful job not letting Allen you know, get outside of containment. I, I, I do agree with you. I think it was, it was, there was some desire to control those rush lanes. I still think they could have taken more chances. And when you, when you, have, you have Patrick Queen in the, in the game, a lot of snaps there. Patrick Queen should be able to help you with pursuit, even if he can't help you with anything else. I mean, he's a downhill player. He's got to at least be able to be focused on that sort of thing. They didn't use him hardly to rush the passer in this game at all. I don't have a number for you exactly, but he only blitzed like three times from off the line of scrimmage. And I don't remember him lining up on the line of scrimmage really at all in this game. So I don't know how many times in, in total he rushed. Somebody can look that up. Or if you have a PFF subscription, you can look at it from there. But he, he was not used to rush, which meant he should have been a good pursuit player. Yeah, one of the things I thought that they might use Queen in this game would be kind of as a quarterback spy mm-hmm. because, you know, he's not someone who is an exceptionally good coverage player. Um, and if he's going to be in there on passing downs, you can maybe have him influence the outcome a little bit by using him as that kind of a spy and someone who can maybe do some delayed blitzes. I think I saw him on maybe one kind of delayed, almost like a green dog kind of blitz. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, he, he kind of didn't, do very much in this game i didn't really see him stand out in a negative or a positive way he kind of just kind of stood in the middle and maybe he was working as a spy to some extent because he just kind of held his like short zone area but i think for the most part um he didn't really have much of an impact on this one here's here's how you know if he's a spy or not if if he rushes the quarterback late when the pocket breaks and that happened a lot in this game with allen there were five six seven times where he left the pocket um then you would have seen queen Blitzing in most of the time, at least in my recollection, that was more Fort than yep. anybody else. So, yeah, yeah uh, you're right. It, it was Fort, and, and so I guess that means that uh, Queen was really not used at all in that role. And so I, I just looked it up in PFF, and they had him for one pass rush for the <laughs> for the entire entire game, which um, and and then 33 snaps in coverage, which is something that I would I would question the the game plan for as well. 33 snaps in coverage, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if you could give him maybe six or seven snaps as as a blitzer, I think maybe that's that's a better way of using him in this one. I do want to finish the pass rush and but but you got Queen brought up right now and you got his coverage abilities. Here's here's my problem in general with how Queen has been used in the playoffs so far. I I understand during the regular season the need and the value both of getting developmental snaps for Patrick Queen. He's First of all, he splashed, so we've seen some ability. That's great. Have him feed off that and make that into something positive in terms of additional responsibilities. Harbaugh mentioned getting 1% better per day. Unfortunately, the season's only 100 days, and so he's probably only getting about 110% better. You know, if you, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a lot that he's going to improve on during that amount of time. And you know, he was not starting from a particular high, particularly high area. What the Ravens couldn't afford to do in these playoffs was grade, continue to grade him on the curve, and still talk about, you know, he's really good for not having any any uh, off season training activities and not having any camp. And he missed four games of, of you know preseason because of that and you know now you're trying to judge him as if well i'm not trying to judge him in that way he needs to be judged on the same level as any other available inside linebacker because this is a playoff game 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on point here. And when when you're someone who has kind of proven throughout the course of the season that he's not someone you can count on in coverage, um, he's he's sometimes going to you know take the wrong route, or he's going to you know cover the wrong guy, or he's going to miss his assignment, and, and it seems to happen once or twice every game. And why in the biggest game of the year is he someone who's basically not coming off the field when he's definitely probably the weakest defender you can have and you have other players that can play similar roles and play them better and that's the, that's the issue that I have well he's not alone unfortunately in that role so queen played 43 snaps and they had 51 competitive snaps so the 43 is out of the 51 competitive Another issue that I had in this game was that Fort played 24 snaps. Now, Fort, and I, I, sorry, not Fort. Fort played 24 snaps is a good thing. Board played 34. No, night. Mm, let me get this correct. This is amazing. I have Board for playing only eight snaps, and I thought I remembered him playing more than that. That's but a in PFF, any case, has PFF has eight. Good deal. Okay. So, anyway, the, the, him playing that number of snaps, uh, bothers me a little because I think Fort would have just been the better guy just to take over that role to, to be the guy on third down who effectively is a coverage slash short zone player. Uh, you get all that recognition. You get, you get, he's the only one of the inside linebackers who really knows, knows what's going on behind him in terms of route combinations and can impact a pain, a passing game from a lane perspective. He can read the quarterback and he can chase the quarterback as he proved in this game. Don't know why he wasn't in there over, over those two guys, and you could have made him the every down, effectively the every down inside linebacker in this game. Right, and and as we talked about before, neither one of them are wearing a green dot. You know, that's Chuck no. Clark. So there's no necessity to have the middle linebacker out there, aside from he's the guy who was your first round pick, and we want to have a first round linebacker on on the field for the majority of these snaps. Right. They didn't end up using Harrison. Harrison only played a handful of snaps, as it was in the whole game. Uh, when he was in, it was to stop the run a lot later in the game. He ended up playing five snaps. So no problem with that uh, in terms of that. He probably, he probably will show with a higher number at PFF because he had some non-competitive snaps towards the end of the game. But anyway, low low total for him. Uh, anyway, I think I'm, I'm done being frustrated about that at this point. Four stunts. They had three pressures on those. Four drops of two plus. Very low total, by the way, for Martindale. So they, they weren't trying to play games with sugaring the A-gap and then dropping out into coverage. He only did it four times. 10% of the snaps, a very low percentage. Uh, they only had uh, two, sorry, three deceptive rushes in this game uh, where they had some combination of two of the deceptive elements going on the same play. So it wasn't even really that they're trying to be deceptive. They were showing numbers and bringing them. And uh, and they didn't didn't do too much of blitzing extra numbers in this game. Yeah, and, and it kind of gets back to the quibble I had before with with the personnel usage on some of those third down plays on the, on the passing plays. Um, you can maybe bring on some more of the outside linebackers, use some more deception, mm-hmm. um, and you, and then you have a better chance of maybe getting off the field on a couple of those plays. And and you know the end result wasn't horrible. The, the Ravens let up ten points on, on the defensive side of the ball. So can, can you complain too much? No. But maybe you get off the field on that long touchdown drive, and that, that that's where some of these things could could have looked a little different. Perhaps if you if you use you know your personnel a little bit differently, use a little bit more deception, pressure a little bit more with some five six player blitzes, or maybe just a simulated pressure where where you show six and drop two, but you know bring four from from you know one side that kind of thing. Overload blitzes. I would have liked to see that a few more times. 
Yeah, uh, me as well. And as well as they played defensively, there were opportunities to get them off quicker. And they, you know, four of 13 on third down. Am I that upset about that? No, not really. But the conditions were awful and they could have done even better, you know, perhaps and, and perhaps created those those opportunities a little earlier. Um, anyway, the six man rush, I think you asked about that earlier, three times for minus nine total yards. So uh, that that included the 12 yard sack and two other plays, obviously, for three yards uh, in that group. Yep. Would have liked to see that maybe, you know, half dozen more times. All right, let's uh, talk about individual players. Gabe, you start us off with any individual, and uh, and we'll go back and forth, and then I'll pick one. So I want to start with Marcus Peters because, I mean, we, we talked about him a little bit. Um, he, he's the guy who kind of just sits on an island. He's out there at, at left cornerback. He's, he's just going to cover a guy out there. And he, he did a really good job in this game. He, I don't think there was – one instance where, where I was watching the film, watching the All-22, where he stood out as like, he's out of place, or he's out of position, or he, he just let the, his wide receiver run free. And at times during the season, we've seen that from him. He's been a little up and down this year. Um, he's been, you know, he's gambled a few times. He's tried to undercut some routes and, and let some, his, his actual, his his cover guy he's supposed to be covering, let, let get behind him. Um, that wasn't the case in this one. I think he played an outstanding game. Um, and I think he, you know, he's someone that the Ravens need going forward next year to be still playing at this level. And if he can continue to be focused, be dialed in, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've, they've obviously, they've spent the money on both of those cornerbacks right now. They need to produce just the way Stanley needs to produce just the way Jackson needs to produce. Uh, there's, there's no, if any of those four really were to have a, a very bad year, it's a big step down for the Ravens in terms of how they have to scramble to make up for, for one of those plays being lost. And we, we saw that this year and, and this game, I think it came to fruition in terms of not having Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Ravens have invested a lot of money in their defense. Um, Peters is one of those players. And he, like, like I mentioned, he's had a, a few hiccups this year. I mean, the, the Kansas City game sticks out as a, as a game where he where he gambled and had some bad plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but, for, but you know, I think especially in the second half, he really turned it on. He, he got dialed in. He got focused. And when he's playing at that level and you have Humphrey out there as well, that's that's a really good, good quality secondary. And it's going to be hard for teams to, you know, move the ball through the air on them. Yeah, get Tavon Young back next year in the slot. Hopefully get Humphrey staying on the outside. I mean, it has the potential to be a very deep cornerback room. I, I don't – did Jimmy Smith has been signed now. That's right. He's been yep. signed for next year. You know, Anthony Averett will be in his fourth year. That, that's a that's looking like a hell of a cornerback room to start the year. Now, we've seen how quickly that could be degraded, but it was nice for the Ravens to come back and – as much as we say, well, maybe it should have been Tremont Williams or maybe it should have been Averett as the fifth corner in this game, they had five pretty good, healthy corners ready to go in this game. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, especially considering at times this year where they had two. <laughs> yeah. Um, it worked out well that they were able to get healthy at the right time and, and have those guys out there. But but if you look at the, the Ravens cornerback room, it's it's probably the best in the NFL. I, I don't, outside of maybe the LA Rams who have some uh you know a, a trio or a, a, i don't know what you call four corners um but yeah. i think you know front to back top to bottom the ravens cornerbacks are probably the best in the nfl and and looking into next year when you get like you said young back when you have smith you can play outside corner still at a very high level um Averitt is you know your fourth fifth cornerback that that's 
really good. He was he was solid for the Ravens this year, and I'm hopeful that he's someone that they can get to stick around. But we'll have to wait and see how how that happens. If if he's someone that they try and extend after you know three pretty good years, I think where he's continued to improve, especially in his third year. Yeah, the Ravens have a lot of three year extensions possible. Unfortunately, I think the COVID cap may be working against them a little bit. But maybe, maybe not entirely, because you know you want to get a discount on these guys. You want to push money into the future, and if you're signing people and giving them a bonus now that effectively increases their salary sum, you really better get value on the future years. I think players are going to be willing to give up value for 2021 because they know the COVID cap is lower, and and money is scarce around the league. I think they're going to be less likely to give it up in 22 and 23, which is when the Ravens want these players like Averett, like Bozeman, like. Andrews to take a little bit less money, uh, you know, a year early. Yeah, I mean, that that their whole COVID offseason is is going to be a very interesting thing to see how it plays out. First of all, we don't know what the cap's going to look like. I mean, mm-hmm. 175 is the basement, so it, it could be that it could be a little higher than that. Um, we're going to have to wait and see what the revenue numbers look like at the end of the year, but it's it's definitely not going to be something that teams are going to have fun dealing with and there's going to be a lot of free agents and how it affects the free agent values we who knows it could be a lot of one-year contracts um and then kind of wait and see next year or the year after that so it's going to be curious it's going to be interesting to see how the ravens go about doing it um, but there's definitely going to be a lot of players that they're going to look to either extend or, or resign i think all right let me let's go ahead with a little bit more individual discussion we've talked a little bit about fort but his game was so good that I just want to want to really talk about some of the plays because he he did it all. I mean, he closed quickly on receivers. Great play on John Brown midway through the first quarter where he took him down for a four-yard gain. Uh, he beat a wonderful screen block from Mitch Morse. Well, it wasn't a wonderful block, but he beat a Mitch Morse on a screen to Devlin Singletary that ends up being only a two-yard gain because he's working downhill effectively. Mentioned the play on Allen to knock him out of bounds. He had... Uh, a late flush on Allen at one point that ended up unfortunately being a, a, a PR 10 on the play. Uh, but it was what it was. Uh, you know, he, he was just all over the field in terms of getting pressure, not flaggable pressure, but pressure. He did have one quarterback hit in the game. Uh, he made a nice a gap penetration to take down a guy for minus one. Uh, that was fairly late in the game. He he just did a little bit of everything. He did it very positively, and it, and it just got me wondering again: why the hell hasn't this guy been out on the field more snaps this season? Yeah, that, that's the real question. And like you said, he had so many positive impact plays in this game, and he only played half the snaps. Basically, if he would have been out there for every single snap, you know, maybe the outcome of the game is different. It's it's hard to say for sure, but he was really influencing every single aspect. He was doing well in coverage. He was doing well as a pass rusher. He was doing well as a run defender. He's he's he really was a playmaker. I think we saw flashes of that last year. And obviously the Ravens did too, because they extended him. Mm-hmm. So they knew that they had a good player. Why they didn't give him the ability to kind of grow into a larger role. That's a question that I think, I think deserves some, some answers. Yeah. I mean, they have him for another year is the other thing. So they, they've already signed him through 20. I think it's 2021 is, is his last year. Cause yeah. he was signed in, in the, in, during 19. So he's, he's, he played 34.8% of the snaps this year. He had to share that position effectively with Harrison, who played 27% of the snaps. That's not too much, and I don't have a problem, I guess, with Harrison being a two-down thumper back where Fort is a 
you know, a, a more likely to be passing down back. The guy I don't I don't see with the reason to be on the field is bored. He's he's not as good in really any area other than his ability to play special teams. Maybe you're trying to figure out if he can be your next developmental Levine type player who can give you a little bit on defense and a lot on special teams, which I think is basically what he gives the Ravens. I want what board gives the Ravens to be as a backup weak side linebacker who can come in on passing downs. I just think Fort is much better at that particular job. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and, you know, board has the, background i think he played safety in college so maybe they think of him as as that that guy who's he's better in coverage and maybe in some situations he does have more skill to kind of like man up on a tight end or man up on a running back things Mm -hmm. like that but in terms of like zone coverages that the ravens do i think four is definitely a better player in those situations (laughs) by a long shot and he should be out there in those situations when, when on third down when when that's the coverage call like and maybe that gives away what what you're doing but maybe you can have Fort, you know play some man too like he's not a bad player in that area or rush the passer i mean you've if you have queen on the field on third down it it tells me you probably want him either to rush the passer or to have some downhill coverage responsibility because you probably don't trust him in zone but i i I don't know i don't know i'm not i'm not so i'm not down and i don't want people to think i'm down on the on the on queen to the point where i don't think he could be a good player i think he could i just i don't think he was this year and i don't think he is right at this exact moment even though he's improved very significantly from early in the year such that he should be on the field ahead of some other players like fort at a critical juncture and we talked about that yeah don't need to beat it up okay your, your turn you got another player you want to talk about um yeah let's talk about matt judon um it could be his last game as a raven and i think he had a very good game um he had the sack fumble that was him. i mean he and ngakwe kind of both got to the quarterback almost at the same time but and that was and that was board also who was who was pressuring up mm-hmm. the middle he got in on nice splits actually there um but it was judon who got the hit and you know he he had a couple of other nice pressures as well um he's had a nice career with the ravens um he, he's been their sack leader a number of seasons i'm not sure if he was this year i think he might have been mm-hmm. it, it wasn't as big a number as he's had in the past but you know, he's someone that he's a versatile, he's a versatile guy. He, he showed that in this game. He had a good run defense game, I think. Um, he's kind of just that all around linebacker that the, the Ravens kind of really use in their scheme very well. And, and you know, I, I would say the chances of him coming back are probably slim, but, you know, it's nice been, it's nice been watching him play. Yeah. And, I am not at all a, a Judon disliker. Five pressures in this game, as I kind of, he had, he had also the pressure to set up McPhee's sack. He disrupted the pocket. McPhee yep. came in, cleaned up the job, uh, and he had four other events that I have him for, including, as you mentioned, a a uh, contribution. No, he had a sack, obviously, when when Board got the pressure to set that one up. So, a, a terrific, a terrific game from Judon, and he is he is a one on one winner, much more than anybody else we have, with the exception probably of Campbell. I would say even in Gakwe, he hasn't proven to be the one on one winner of a of exactly this type. Judon just delivers more in terms of actual hits on the quarterback than Ngakwe does. Ngakwe probably provides a, a tad more pressure, but it's close. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's probably correct. Ngakwe has a little bit more speed off the edge, um, a little bit more of a, I would say, a traditional pass rush arsenal. Um, I think he probably, you know, might give you 10, 
more pressures over the course of the season than, than Judon would in terms of a straight rush. Um, but I think Judon does more as, as a blitzer. He does more as the ability to you know stand up. He can drop in coverage. He can move around. Oh, yeah. That's not what Ngakwe does. And I think Judon has, has more value in that overall package that he brings. And he can also play on rundowns too. Yeah, there, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Judon is the more valuable player to the Ravens than Ngakwe. I mean, I, and I, I need... I, you know, I want the Ravens to get a pass rusher that that really poses an individual threat on that rush side. But Ngakwe is very expensive, and the the combination of Bowser and Judon has been such an incredible tool for Wink to manipulate the pass rush and to create scheme. Yeah, it's it's true, and you know, I mean, obviously the Ravens are going to be in an interesting situation moving forward with what they do with their outside linebackers, um, and, and they have a broad range of players with kind of diverse skill sets and i think it's gonna be interesting to see who they decide to retain and who they, and who they let go and obviously the you know the money's going to be a, a big factor here but while yeah. we're working on this who do, who do you think who do you project of the five guys and i guess it's uh ferguson assigned so at least that's taken care of but they have ward who was on a one-year deal this year they have mcphee one-year deal they have Bowser and Judon, who are free agents now, and they have Nagakwe, who's a free agent. So who are those five do you think they end up retaining? So I think McPhee is the closest to a lock of any of them. I think, obviously, he has his... He, he was drafted by the Ravens. He's come back to play for them now for two years. I could see him playing kind of like give him maybe a, a two-year deal, let him finish out his career. It's not going to be big money. He, he's had issues with injuries over the past, so I, I don't think he's going to be commanding a huge deal on, on the market, but he clearly has the ability to rush the passer. He can align inside. He's a good edge setter. He's someone that plays like a Raven and he's one of our leaders. I think he's someone you bring back for sure. Um, I think there's a chance Ward comes back just because he's going to be cheap again. I think um, he also has some of that versatility that McPhee has. Um, he can play inside a little bit. He can be good at edge setter. Um, and I don't think he's going to command much of a contract either. Of the three larger name outside linebackers, I think Bowser has the highest chance of coming back because of his versatility and because he's not going to be as expensive as Judah or Ngakwe. You're a math guy also. So toss me an expected number to one decimal point of those three that the Ravens get back. Um, I'm going to say 2.7. 2.7 out of three that they get back? Oh, two, oh out of those three. Um, I'm going to say one. <laughs> what, 1. 1.0. Yeah, 1.0. I, I'd, I'm going to say 1.2. Okay, I, I was I meant I was thinking out of the out of the five. I was going to say 2.2.7 out of all five of them. I got you. Out of okay. those three, um, yeah, I would say one, a little over one, maybe 1.1. 1. 1. It's it's not going to be. I doubt that they get more than one, honestly. Okay, so you just said contract wise, that's probably all they can fit. And uh, if it's if they get Bowser. And Bowser is not terribly expensive, which I don't expect him to be just awfully expensive. There's only a few teams that are really understand his value, but the Jets and New England both have money, and that bothers me. So, a pretty good chance that those two teams will understand what he does and and you know make an offer. Yeah, I could see him going to a team like Miami too, um, who has a similar kind of defensive you know play play caller there that that New England out of the you know the Bill Belichick kind of um, coaching tree there. Um, so. There's a few teams who are probably interested in him, um, but I think the Ravens will have the opportunity to sign him if, if they want to. 
All right. Okay, we've talked of, of, about most of the players on my list at this point. The only one I, I want to make sure we hit on was Calais Campbell. Uh, great game. I don't have any doubt he'll be back, even though the Ravens are the second year of a two-year deal. They could, in, in theory, cut him and, and save a little bit of money. Uh, he's He had a great game in this one, and, and I do not agree with pressure numbers from other sources. Uh, this is a case where I think there were a lot of three-second – the three-second rule is – was more generous to him in terms of pressures than a two and a half second rule would be. But I had him for five separate pressure events plus the past defense. So really impressive game for Campbell in terms of, of impacting this, but he was in the pocket in the cone pretty much all day. And, and you see when he's there, he really creates some short arming from Allen. Yeah. I mean, he's really done that all year. Um, just his ability to, push the pocket if he's if he is like you said earlier with one guy who he's mm-hmm. lined up against he can really just dominate that one person he has that length yes he, he still has you know kind of that old man strength where he can just kind of like <laughs> push the guy and, and also swim by him at times and you know that's a skill that that the ravens probably would have liked to see on the field a little bit more often this year obviously missing some time with the injury was was not ideal but he's their best interior defensive guy by by a good margin i, I think matabike has a chance to become someone who can disrupt like he does um or i don't think he'll be able to disrupt like campbell could when he was when he was like in his prime but mm-hmm. at, at, right, right right now i think matabike has a chance to kind of overtake him as that primary interior rusher but you know i'm looking forward to seeing them both on the field together for more snaps next year that's for sure yeah hey, matabike is an exciting young talent no no two ways about it let's jump into the mvps here we're running kind of a little long i'm going to name mine four to one do you want to play along do you want to you have your own list um yeah I, I have my own okay so actually just who, whoever is your number three guy if he happens to be my number four guy we won't even mention it Okay. I was going to say Peters. Um, I I know I mentioned him earlier. We talked about him. I think he just did a great job in this game. He shut down his, his player for pretty much the entire thing. He didn't love any big completions. And that was a kind of lockdown coverage that they needed in this game. Yep. I, I, I heartily endorse that. He's certainly one of my honorable mentions. Campbell and Judon, I'll put equally at number three here. They both had big pass rush games. I liked it. Like what each of them did, uh, I thought in this game that, that both of them had a very significant thing. In fact, I'm looking at it. They probably should be my number two on the list and, and still tied. Yeah, I mean, I think Campbell was, as, as we just talked about, he, he was disruptive as a pass rusher. He, he had the ability to put that down the pass. He's, he's stalwart as a run defender. We didn't really talk about that much in this game because the run defense wasn't a big part of it. But mm-hmm. the Ravens really didn't allow the the bills to to run when they when they had they, i think they had one or two runs at the end of the or the beginning of the second half um but aside from that they, they really just you know shut out that aspect of the game and that's a big part of campbell yep that's that's a big deal do you have, you want to talk about your number two guy then well I, my, my number two is the same as yours and, and it's the sean elliott and and we haven't even you know mentioned him in this game but he had such an impact on the back end of this um he was phenomenal um you know, he's really evolved into that single high safety for the Ravens. I think at the beginning of the year, we were talking about him, you know, more as a strong safety. Is he really kind of that free safety role? Well, they, the Ravens kind of put him in that role this year, and he really developed. He showed incredible range. There's a number of plays in this game where he had great ability to pick up a deep defender and and, and lock down that guy who might have been open for a, for a deep pass. Um, his instincts are really showing out, and I think that his kind of confidence is just incredible i think he's definitely playing at a high level and honestly i don't think the ravens are missing somebody like earl thomas at all because deshaun elliott (laughs) has has played phenomenally in in his stead 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Elliot had one tackle coming up. I really love, but it's it's the bracket coverage that got me in this game. That how many times? First of all, how many times? Like last year, did we talk about bracket coverage with Earl Thomas, or even earlier this year at some points where where Elliot was not you know where he is right now in terms of getting bracket coverage? But he's just developing bracket after bracket, and he had three really good ones that I pointed out in the article where the pass actually went to that receiver. But there's other times when he's getting it and we look at the all 22, he's, he's got a bracket on somebody who they won't throw to because of it. So I, I do wonder if the conditions and Allen's uh, methodical nature in the pocket helped him to develop more brackets in this game. Cause an extra half second, that's all you need on the back end to get back on and help another defender. So if it's Ben Roethlisberger and the ball's out quick on every down, does he have the same impact? I, I don't, I don't doubt. No, but the other complaint I hear about him, I just I think he's going to break out with a big year in terms of turnovers at some point. He was that guy at Texas who every time the ball is in the air, they say, well, the ball just goes right to him. Of course he intercepts it. Well, what do you think You know, being a free safety is all about or being an opportunistic safety is all about? It's being in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think it'll come. I mean, this is his first year starting. He barely played in his second year. He's at injuries. You know, hopefully the injuries are behind him, and I expect a big year for him next year. And and you know, we talked about some of these players who were third year like, extended to third year. I think Elliott's at the top of the list of players who are up for that extension, and right. I really hope that they get it in there. Yeah, completely agree. And I, I think with his history, there's a lot of divisible benefit on the table between both sides. So Elliott should be saying, and Elliott's agent maybe more should be telling, hey, look, you might get big money or you might get hurt again. We already know you lost two seasons to injury. If they're offering $8 million for three years, you better jump on this, man. This is your chance for financial security. Take it. And then at the end of this period, you're still 28 or whatever you'll be, and you'll have a chance to, to get another prime contract when we're through all this COVID crapola. Yeah, 100% agree. I, I think it's a it's a good situation for him. You know, he's, I think he's an up-and-coming potential star, and I think the Ravens would love to have he and Chuck Clark kind of manning the back end together for, for a few years to come. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Who's your number one guy? Well, I think we both agree that it's OJ Fort, who was all over the field in this game. Um, even in the limited snaps that we talked about, he's he's making plays at all levels. Um, he, he's someone that, you know, Ravens have for one more year. We'd, we'd like to see more out of him. But in this game, he really showed all his skills off. And I think that I, I just hope, that he can continue playing that, you know, he's not a, a young player anymore. He, I think mm-hmm. he's maybe 29 or 30 at this point. He's bounced around the league, but, um, you know, he's someone who has that veteran savvy. He, sh- he shows the experience. He shows the instincts. And, you know, he has that athletic ability still. He can make plays in coverage. He can make plays in open space. And th- that's exactly what you need for your for your inside linebackers. So LJ, LJ Ford turned 31 on January 3rd. So he'll, he'll he'll play this next year at age 31. But it is an interesting question is, does he then become one of these rotating two-year contract players like Albert McClellan or Levine, who contributes on defense, also contributes on special teams in very valuable ways on both? And I, I would love for him to become a guy that they could sign to, you know, a series of vet men plus $500,000 signing bonus kind of thing for two years which is the standard kind of Ravens deal that they've had for Levine for a while. Yeah. I mean, I think that would obviously be the perfect scenario for the Ravens because his value at that contract is exceptional. Mm-hmm. So if, if they can lock him up for another two years, you know, at, at kind of that minimum vet deal, um, I think that's a home run. Um, whether or not Fort has more of a market, it's, it's tough to say. Um, clearly, I think teams can see that he has some 
some skill and some value to contribute. Um, but he does he play a huge number of snaps, and maybe that works to the Ravens' benefit because he doesn't have a lot of the big, you know, eye popping stats. Right. I I think that's possible. Let's, uh, Josh, let's take a look at the mailbag. What do we have? I know we had some stuff. Oh, no, nothing. No one's interested. I mean, never nothing to watch <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> at Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. So, no, we definitely got some questions. And I've kept I kept some on the side for tomorrow as we uh, break down the offense. But uh, let's look at the defensive side. Uh, first one up is, is it time to defund the defense? Is it time to let number 91 and 90 walk and pick up third and fourth round comp picks in 22? And then 91 and 99, correct? 91 and 99. Okay. Well, we've already talked about that a little bit. And I think that might be the way it plays out, whether or not that's what the Ravens want to do. It's depending on how the contract situations look in terms of what players are going to be able to make in, in a COVID off season. Um, I think there's a chance that the Ravens could bring back one of them on like a one-year deal where it's something in like the mid value range, you know, the eight to $10 million um, number, but I don't think they're going to be paying either one big bucks on a long-term contract. A great overall point in terms of defunding the defense here, because I've, I've been saying this for the last year and a half here is that, is that the Ravens had a historically low cap per amount of offensive success they're having. Obviously they're spending most of the money on the defense period, but they've also got an older defensive line that they need to replace. Now they've given big contracts to the secondary. They now can't get out of, actually they can get out of the Peters deal, but they don't want to get out of the Peters deal. They just signed the Humphrey deal. They can't get out of that. So, you know, not an issue there. Um, the issue the, the defensive line is the place. And, uh, you know, part of it is whether or not uh, Brandon Williams is a guy that they think they can afford to have last year, next year. I think they can't afford not to have him, but maybe they ought to try and get him to take a salary reduction in his last year. I think they already restructured him, didn't they? It wasn't a big salary reduction, but I think it was a small salary reduction. They might want to go back at, and look at doing something again with him because – you know, he's, he does have a very large number for what value he brings to the defense in terms of just really being a, a run-stopping defensive lineman. You're right. And I, I had forgotten that they'd already restructured that deal. So it, it might be a restructure and extend deal that they could do in a COVID time that would, you know, tack on an extra year at $3 million or something. Some some way they could restructure the money over that two-year period that would make sense to both sides. And I, I don't really know what that would be, but... Uh, I, I'm hoping there's a way because he's he's obviously he's a good player and and uh, is what he does valuable. I, I don't know if I can if I can defend that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's up to kind of a, a different t- takes of different opinions people might have on that. But uh, I mean, Campbell is kind of maybe in a similar situation. You could tack on another year and maybe spread out the, the number a little bit more. I think he probably has two more years in him, and, and the Ravens have him for one more year. If I'm if I'm correct on that. So maybe you can reduce his number a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of the, you know, the outside linebackers, they definitely won't be able to invest as much in that position as they had this past year. 
Well, let's do it this way because all, all the mailbag questions are about uh, who you sign, who you keep, who goes. Of the free agents, who hurts the most if, they, if the Ravens lose them on the defense? Judon. I, I agree. I think it is Judon. And I think, unfortunately, he's probably the most likely to go. Um, just because you know they have him on the franchise tag this year, and it, it's it's unlikely that they go to a long term contract with him. Yeah, I, I, you know the one thing about being on the franchise contract this year with the COVID cap looming is that it doesn't hold the same kind of leverage as it would have been a past year. You know the, the yes, there's a second franchise year, but obviously no one is paying him that, yeah. so he becomes on the market, and it becomes more a case of. Is this a system that he really enjoys playing in, that he thinks really maximizes his own ability? And do the Ravens really recognize that value? And it may be that he goes out, and I think this is an Ozzie Newsome strategy in the past, let the player determine what the market on him is. And, and once he figures out that, yeah, market is 80% of what I thought it was for me, what are, what are you thinking, Ravens, is, is you know what you want him to do in terms of coming back to the table? Is it just Do you guys have an offer you want to make? Yeah, uh, two factors that kind of play in the Ravens' favor there. One is the fact that Judon didn't have the same production this year that he has in, in years past um, in terms of sacks. And that's what I think does drive a lot of contract values, whether it's you know the thing to look at or not. And then the other thing is, as we as we talked about, you know, the Ravens have kind of let players do that before. You know, they let Ray Lewis do that before. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, last year they let Jimmy Smith do that and he came back and signed for a very reasonable contract. And that wasn't even in a weird COVID kind of strange offseason where contract numbers are going to be depreciated. So it could be that you know the Ravens are able to get him on maybe a, sh- a short contract at a less of a value than what what his market value could potentially be. Um, so you know we don't know. As I mentioned, this this offseason is going to be strange, um, but it's, it's definitely a potential that something like that happens. You know, the last player they did it with was C.J. Mosley. And he went out there and he found the value is 120% of what the Ravens expected it to be, I think. So uh, anyway, was what it was. All right. Uh, final question. Marlene Humphrey said that he was surprised that no one has reached out to interview Wink for a head coaching job. Are you guys surprised? Obviously, you guys are praising Wink and the defense, so you're glad no one's reached out to him. But do you think he would translate into a head coach? You can start, Gabe. I have some thoughts. So I think there's less of a desire to sign head coaches that are defensive-minded coaches because a lot of teams have young quarterbacks. They want, uh, you know, young, upcoming, offensive-minded coach who can develop their quarterback. I think that's not something you're going to get with McMartindale. Obviously, you could hire an offensive coordinator who could then work with a quarterback, but it's not quite the same idea. Um, So that part of it, I'm not that surprised by. I do think that he would be a great leader. I think, you know, he's someone that is, has the locker room behind him. His players want to play for him. And and I think they really do love him. And I think that's something that's important for, for a head coach. So that part of it, I think he would do well, but I just think not coming from the offensive side of the ball hurts him. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the bad teams who are the teams who are getting new coaches are exactly the teams that, that uh, would want that. And of course, the Texans, one of the teams that you didn't think was in that position, now maybe you know their quarterback's demanding a trade with the new coach not being part of his hiring, you know, scheme. But anyway, I was on a Jets pod, and they said the following to me: that first of all, the Jets wanted a CEO type head coach, so they wanted somebody who was going to be able to hire a good staff. And Joe Douglas obviously knows who Wink Martindale is. It seems like that would be a natural place that that you know we'd lose Wink too. 
is is the Jets. But yet, apparently, if the Jets haven't reached out, boy, I don't know. You know, well, the, 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 the Jets, Jets learned their lesson on taking a Ravens defensive coach. <laughs> I, I I'm not sure what what the, what lesson they think they they learned. They went to two AFC Championship games. So I guess so. All right. So anyway, the 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 point being that I think that there are elements of Wink's game that translate to very good game management things. But I don't know. I don't know how you know whether the guy be any good at dealing with a staff, hiring a new staff around him, about delegating authority within that staff. That those are much harder things to like really detect. Yeah, I think that's one of those things. You, it's hard to know without kind of being in present during those interview cycles and and what what they are able to bring to to the team and say this is what I would do as as the head coach. And one of the things that I do like about Martindale that he's really impressed me with is his ability to use a certain use his personnel, understand his personnel, and put them in position to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that applies to both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So I, I think he de- definitely has a good, you know, head for football, you know, how to understand how the game really works and how to best use his players. And I think he could definitely convey that if he was in a head coaching position. Um, and I th- didn't he have head coaching options last year? Or OEC was brought in for an interview, I think. I think with the Giants. Giants yeah. yeah, I think it was the Giants. So clearly there's some interest in him at some point. So I, I think that maybe there will be again in the future. But for now, you know, I'm just I'm just glad that the Ravens have him. All right. Well, you guys are bringing up a lot of good points and uh, stuff about the transition to a head coach that no one down here in Jacksonville is talking about with Urban Meyer. Everyone's just <laughs> praising him because he's already a god before he even joined the Jags down here. Um, we're going to have to have that same conversation, I'm sure, about Greg Roman, but we'll save that for tomorrow's offensive podcast. Gabe. Why don't you share the situation rooms coming out in the next day or two, and then what else people can follow you with? Yeah, um, t- t- situation room um, with Jordan Coe, my co-host. Um, you know, we're already texting back and forth some ideas for what we're going to be doing in the off season. I think um, we're probably going to try and do at least a you know once every other week. Um, that that might be our plan for now, but. Um, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see and get back to you about that one. Uh, we do have one planned for this week to kind of go over what, what happened in this past game. I think we're going to be recording tomorrow. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking forward to kind of, you know, putting you know the final touches on the season, uh, but definitely stay tuned during the off season to see what we have. All right. And then Ken film study, Baltimore.com. The, the, uh, you already have the defensive breakdowns up on the page. You got that up fast. Yep, that's that's up now. The offensive line we're we're working through tonight, and we'll still have a little bit more work to do on that. Unfortunately, that's no fun. Uh, believe me, it's no fun to watch this. And the uh, uh, there'll be no know your foe episode this week. Unfortunately, by the numbers, not not one hundred percent sure whether we're going to do it or not. We may do one, and that may be a, a, something we continue during this off season. We've got a new segment we're going to come up with on visualizations. So this will be looking at charts and interpreting data are, that are on them in various ways we have a new guest for that brent dawson will be doing that with us and and uh, josh has some new technology to use all right yeah we're gonna take this nerd talk about football even deeper <laughs> into graphs this offseason to for people who really are interested in what's going on with it so that's all good who's the guest for offensive show tomorrow the offensive show tomorrow is Oh, a good one. Josh Mustaika, when we've never had him on before, but Yoshi2052, if you know him from uh, Twitter, and excellent guy. He's very much looking for an NFL job, and he, and he should get one soon. 
All right. Great guy to end the season on. It's unfortunate that he's going to have to talk about that offense. Um, and when we got by the numbers, I got a number for you. It is the number 30, which is when pitchers and catchers report for the <laughs> Orioles. So if you want to get ready for baseball season, you can check out section 336 as we're now uh, charging up for our like eighth or ninth year or something like that, covering the Orioles and getting excited for this season. Eighth or ninth year? Uh, I tried to do the math. <laughs> we, we just put out episode 401. Okay. So I believe that means that in March, it'll be eight years. Very good. So I don't know if that means we're covering our eighth year or if we're covering our ninth season of the Orioles. I don't know, but March will be eight years, I believe. We'll have to we'll have to count those up for Film Study Baltimore too, and see how many how many total articles and pods we have. Just exactly, exactly. It's hard. It's hard to to look back instead of you just look ahead and keep going and increase that number by one's a way easier way to count and keep track of things. <laughs> so. All right, again, continue to share the show. Thank you for everyone who's been doing the reviews on iTunes and sharing all football season. If you can continue that, stay subscribed all off season. we got plenty of content coming your way, and we'll talk again soon. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.